Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Family Church in Ohioville, Pennsylvania. We pray you are challenged in your walk with the Lord through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly Family Church or to subscribe to our free podcasts, please visit us on the web at cafamily.net. Well, if you got your Bible, let's hold them to heaven and say, Thank you, Father, for your holy written word. It's a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Your words are life to me and health to all of my flesh. I have what the word says I have. I am what the word says I am. I can do what the word says I can do. Holy Spirit, anoint my ears to hear, my heart to receive, and my mind to be open to the knowledge of the truth that makes me free. Quicken me according to the word. Change me from glory to glory. And I boldly say, I will never ever be the same again. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise God. Confession of faith is like physical exercise to the physical body. It's spiritual exercise to the spiritual part of man. Amen. Uh, we want to continue our study on don't give up. Lesson number two. Don't quit. Don't give up. And we're going to read Philippians chapter 3 beginning at verse 12. Here the apostle Paul is speaking. And he says, not as though I had already attained. Have you already attained? Either we're already perfect. Anybody here already perfect? But I follow after if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. But this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. We talked about the fact that the walk of the believer is sometimes in the Bible compared to a mountain climb. And when it comes to climbing mountains, there are three attitudes that exist. There is the attitude of the quitter. What does a quitter do? Quits. When the going gets tough, he quits. Climbing a mountain is not an easy thing. But then there's the camper. And what's the camper do? Gets satisfied at some level and says, I'm going to camp right here and I'm perfectly satisfied with where I'm at. And goes no further. But then you've got the climber. There's no quit in the climber. There's no camping in the climber. He's not going to faint. He's not going to lose heart. He's not going to give up. No, there's a prize to be had. And he presses on to see to it that he attains to or reaches that prize of the high calling of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord. So in other words, it's not just sitting back and playing church. It's conditioning ourselves to get to the mountaintop. To get to the place where God wants us to be. And where Jesus sacrificed his life. So that we can experience that mountaintop experience. Amen. Amen. So with that understanding. It's important for us to know that attitude then determines our altitude. Attitude determines our altitude. In flying. The attitude of a plane is its position. In relationship to the horizon. And if the plane is on the upward. It's going to do what? It's going to climb. But then if it's on the downward from the horizon. What's going to do? It's going to descend and go down. Well, in life, one's attitude determines the altitude that he climbs to in life. And if you have an attitude of a quitter, you're going to quit. Or a camper, and so on. But if you've got a bad attitude, you're not going to go forward in God. You can have a good attitude. But you know what? The best attitude is to have a godly attitude. 
and we have a godly attitude, praise God, then we're going to achieve greater things for God and in Him. Uh, just an example as far as not quitting. I just found this out. Sister Tammy shared with me this morning. And oftentimes you can use sports illustrations just to make the point. I understand I didn't watch the game, but I understand last night TCU was losing 31 to nothing at the half. In the third quarter, came back and won the game. 47-41. Imagine that. I guess they didn't quit. I guess they didn't give up. I know many gave up on them and turned the TV off and saw something else that was a little bit more exciting and that was so boring, 31 nothing. What's the point? Don't give up. Don't quit. There's a prize to be won. Jason Lezak when he was in the Olympics and Michael Phelps when they, was, they were doing the, I think, 4 by 100 who lost to the champion. Jason lost to the champion in the race. But when he hit the water, he was the fourth of the, of the four legs. He hit that water. The champion that beat him already in that same distance, might have been 200, I forget the exact distance, already beat him. He was now far behind. And when he hit that water, the first thought he said came to my mind was, I might as well just give up. I mean, he's already beat me. And now he's got a big head start. He said, but then for a split second, I said to myself, no, I'm not going to quit. I'm going to give everything I've got. He won the race. He caught him. And beat him by the smallest of margins when he touched that wall. He said, you see, I just changed my mindset. You know what Thomas Jefferson said? He said that uh, the man that has a right mental attitude, nothing can stop him from achieving his goal. But he also said that the man that has a wrong mental attitude, nothing on earth can help him. And when I read that, I thought about Naaman the leper. He was told exactly how to get healed of leprosy. And when he got to where he was supposed to dip into the water, he refused to do it. It was beneath him. But then he changed his mindset. When he changed his mindset, his way of thinking and his attitude, he went and did what he was supposed to do when he got healed. How many people are like that? Wrong mental attitude. You know, your thinking affects your believing, affects your speaking, and then it affects your having. If we think wrong, we'll believe wrong, we'll speak wrong, and we're going to have wrong. There was a man that, uh, he worked in, in Hawaii at the sugarcane uh, fields. And that was his business. Well, some corporations came in, took over all the industry. As a result, he was out of work for over two years. He had three children, no money. He couldn't even buy his kids lunches. He exhausted all his means for borrowing money. He was $15,000 in debt. And of course, he just kept saying, there's just no work for me here. They took over all the industry. There's nothing I can do, even though he has all the equipment that was his own. All of a sudden, he heard from a preacher. Thank God for preachers. <laughs> Deuteronomy, how can they hear without a preacher? Look at what Deuteronomy 28, 47, 48 say. This is what he said. This is what he got a hold of the guy and said. Now look at this. Because you serve not the Lord your God with joyfulness and with gladness of heart for the abundance of all things, therefore shalt thou serve thine enemies which the Lord shall send against thee in hunger and in thirst and in nakedness and in one of all things, and he shall put a yoke of iron upon thy neck until he hath destroyed thee. The enemy wants to destroy us. You realize that. He said, so you can serve God joyfully and thank God for what you do have. Or you can continue on your complaining about what you don't have and uh, just be, let's say, 
overcome by your enemy. Then he showed him Mark eleven twenty three, 23. And I want you to see this. He said, for verily I say unto you, that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have what? Whatsoever he saith. That's the thing about this ministry, what it's been all about. If you think the wrong thing, believe the wrong thing, speak the wrong thing, you'll have the wrong thing. If you're experiencing the wrong thing and you want to change it, start thinking right, believing right, speaking right, and you'll have right things. Can you see that? So this preacher told him that, and he got a hold of it. How many of you know some get a hold of it and some don't? He gave him some advice. He said, look, get on your knees every day and start thanking God for who he is and what he's done for you in Christ. Then he said, and stop complaining about what you don't have and stop saying I don't have any work. These companies took it over. There's no means for me to obtain work, etc., etc., etc. He said, stop talking like that. Stop, stop saying that. Well, the fella did. And within five months, he went from being in debt, $15,000, to receiving a call from one of these large corporations and companies and said, look, we've got a lot of work, and we hear you've got equipment. We want to put you to work. And they drew up three six-week contracts, each worth $80,000. And within one year, he not only paid off his $15,000 debt, he had $40,000 in the bank, and he gave $65,000 to the work of the church. And he had another $80,000 six-week job on the table. So he went from not working at all and wallowing in his self-pity to changing his declaration of faith, thinking differently, changing his attitude and start saying what the Word says, open up the door to God's power in his life and look what God did. I remember years ago someone came up to me and said, I need to talk to you about my business. And I said, okay, let's talk. And so we talked. And the person just said, you know, I'm, uh, and, and just went on and just talked about the details of what's going on. And was very much concerned about losing the business or going out of business and that sort of thing. And so I gave similar advice and counsel. And I just said, you know what? You got to start applying the principles of the word to your situation. Start declaring what the word says. Start saying that, thank God, angels are loose to minister for me because I'm an heir of salvation. They're going out there and they're moving about just bringing in business my way. And he kind of interrupted me and just said, now wait a minute, I'm not talking about a small business. I'm talking about a large business, a million dollar business. I said, brother, it doesn't work. It doesn't matter if it's a $15,000 business or if it's a million dollar business. It works the same principles all the same. Amen. Praise God, God turned that whole thing around. Amen. When you got the believing right, thinking right, believing right, speaking right, open up the door to God's blessing. And I tell you what, was blessed beyond words and blessed beyond measure. Well, Let's take a look, a closer look at Paul's goals and Paul's attitude with regard to his life and kind of put yourself in, this, in the mix. This upcoming year, what is your goal? What is your aim? What is your desire? What do you want to achieve? Spiritually, we'll start there. But then the other thing you could add to that is maybe financially, maybe physically, in your health. It could be in your family, and that sort of thing. But the principles are all the same. So we'll look at Paul's attitude and Paul's goal. Look at his goal first. Look in Philippians chapter uh, 3 verse 10. These are his goals. This is his primary goal. That I may know him 
and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. Notice those four things Paul said. This is my high aspiration in life. Number one, that I may know him. To know Jesus. Not just to know about Jesus, but to know him. To know his character. To know his heartbeat. To know his work that he worked for me on the cross in redemption. To really know him in such a way so as to walk with him. See, I don't know just about him. I know him as my Savior. To know him as my Lord, as the King of my life. And then he said number two. Not just to know him, but the power of his resurrection. I want to know that. And what does he mean by that? It's not just having that power manifest on you or in you. It's the influence this power has over the human mind. It's the hope that it gives and the truth that it confirms. You know what I mean by that? Beloved, here we are sitting in this wonderful uh, facility here today. And I thank God every one of you know Jesus is Lord and Savior of your life. Let me say this to you. It's all because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the reason why we're here. You understand that? How does it influence my thinking? How does it impact my life? Or it should impact the lives of everybody that's out there. Other people say, well, I've got my own religion that I believe in. Oh, my brother and my sister, you can believe in what you want to believe. But I'm going to tell you something right now. If I'm going to believe anybody about life, death, and eternity, I'm going to believe somebody that conquered the grave and arose from the dead on the third day. And he's alive right now hallelujah, who appeared to 500 at one time to prove that he was. And what about this one? I've been looking, looking this up, studying it a little bit. What about the graves of others were open? And they went into the city of Jerusalem after the resurrection. See, Jesus was going to go back to glory and offer up his blood and all that. Into Jerusalem, the city of the great king here, he sent others that were raised from the dead. Now I've read different commentaries on this. And no one has a, I guess the final say. Some say it this way. I'll throw them both out to you. Some say when he was raised up from, the, they were raised up from the dead. Could have been the patriarchs of old. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, some of the prophets, etc. Could have been Joseph and Mary even raised up. Or, I'm sorry, the other, other Joseph. Could have been Joseph from way back in, in Genesis. All that, they raised it from dead. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Daniel, Ezekiel. I mean, just the list goes on and on. And they went into the city and said, in all of Jerusalem, he's the Messiah. He's the Messiah. See, they doubted. There's no more doubting now. I say, there's no more doubting now. When you see these people. Now, others say it could have been those that recently died. And now they're raised up from the dead. And now they're in the city. Because some say, well, where did they go after that? Some say they lived with them until they died again. Think about that. They lived with them until they died again. And can you imagine if you were a doubter and you have to listen to him? I told you he's the Messiah. I told you he's the Lord. How do you know? Well, look at me. You know I was dead. You were at my funeral. Remember? And I've been dead for about three years. Do you see me? Others say that they were then changed and, and taken to heaven. But there's, there's different views of that. But there's one thing that's clear. 
he was raised from the dead and he's alive right now. Does that give you a hope to see your loved one on the other side in glory? Does that change your way of thinking? When someone says, oh, there's all kind of ways to God, there's all kind of religions. Really? There's only one that has an empty tomb. I'll tell you that right now. Amen. I'm not going to believe in anything other than that. And then let's, uh, number two, the attitude. Uh, I'm sorry, the, the fellowship of his suffering. The fellowship of his suffering. Now, what does this mean? And you know what? This is something that we all need to embrace. Anybody here want to wear the victor's crown of glory? Do you? Are you willing to wear the crown of thorns? What do you mean by that? That while you're living here on this earth and you truly take a bold stand for Jesus, you'll suffer persecution, affliction, scoffing, mocking. You're going to suffer all kinds of things in the natural world that you live in. If you're in school, your peers will put the pressure on you to get you to do what they want you to do and that sort of thing. Yeah, you will suffer sometimes rejection from other people, etc., etc. But you know what? You're willing to suffer persecution with the believers of God so that one day you wear the crown of glory. Amen. Amen. So when you come to Christ, you will suffer persecution if you live right. Paul said it this way, all those that live godly in Christ Jesus, they will suffer affliction and persecution. But he said, but behold, the Lord delivered me out of them all. So you've got that promise of deliverance from them all. So next four, being made conformable unto his death. Conformable to his death. He explained that a little bit further down in verse, I think 14 it is. And he kind of said it this way, that I could become that for which he has apprehended me. Now imagine this. He left the glory world behind. He came to seek you out and save you because you were lost. In the process of doing so, he gave up his life. And then he was raised from the dead. So Paul was saying this. I want to become that for which he died for me to become. I want to be what he wants me to be. That's my goal. That's my aim. That's my highest aspiration I don't want to be satisfied where I'm at. I want to be just like him. I want the life of God on the inside to manifest on the outside. So people can see the light of the countenance of the glory of God manifest through my life. I want to become that for which he gave his life up for me. And we all should have that as a high goal and aspiration. And then what attitude did Paul have? Philippians 3, look at verses 4 through 9. This was his attitude. He had an attitude, though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he, notice the word thinketh, if he thinks that he has whereof, he might trust in the flesh, I more. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel at the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, touching the law, a Pharisee concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, look at that next word, blameless, what a bold statement. But what things were gained to me in the natural, he's saying, those I counted lost for Christ. Yea, doubtless I count all things but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung that I may win Christ and be found in him not having mine own righteousness which is of the law but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. So in other words, he lists all his credentials and says, if I were to gloat about who I am in the flesh, I've got all these credentials here. 
You want to boast about that? I've got more to boast about. But none of that means anything. That's garbage. It's garbage compared to the excellency of the knowledge of Christ as far as he was concerned. His attitude was this. Becoming Christ-like was my priority. Number one. This is my priority. That's exactly what he believed. Seeking to become like him was more important to him than anything else this world has to offer. Thank God for other pursuits that we can have in life. But oh, as a Christian, as a believer, there is nothing more important than our crucifying the flesh and having a desire within our heart to become more Christ-like every single day of our lives. Until we become that for which he has apprehended us. And fulfill the work that he has called us to do. That should be our highest goal, aim, and desire. And so as far as Paul was concerned, everything else in life was nothing compared to this aspiration and this goal. It consumed him. His thinking, his energy, his focus, his everything that he had in his breathing was affected by it. I want to be more Christ-like. And then secondly, his humility. Look at his humility. In the book of Philippians, once again, he was so humble. Look at verse 12. Not as though I've already attained. Either we're already perfect. Is anybody here already perfect? His, his humble heart was this. Now wait a minute. We're not talking about just the average Christian here. When he says that he's not already perfect. Well what he's saying is this. Perfection is in three stages. Number one. There is the positional perfection that comes. In your union with Christ. When you're born again you become a child of God. Aren't you glad on the inside you're perfect? Your spirit that's been born again is perfect. Amen. But it's also progressive. Progressive, remember in Psalm 138 verse 8 says, Thou will perfect that which concerns me. We're in the process of being perfected in Christ, meaning every day that goes by, we want to look more like him, act more like him, talk more like him, be more like him. The life on the inside is manifesting more on the outside, so that by the time we reach our ripe old age, we should be manifesting more of the character of God and our conduct, our attitude, our speech. Becoming more Christ-like. Then there's a third phase. And you're all going to love the third phase. The third phase is the phase of completeness. Or completed perfection. That's when you're glorified. Praise God. You're changed. And you're glorified. And you're in that state of perfection. In Christ. Spirit, soul, and body. Paul says, I've not arrived yet. Has anybody here arrived yet? Have you arrived yet? Are you in that state of perfection yet? No. Then guess what? There's a mountain to climb. Are you climbing? Are you camping? Have you quit? Keep climbing. Keep climbing. See the goal is so high that you won't stop as long as you're breathing on earth. You've got to continue going forward. Continuing to do it. Not just to learn more. Anybody can educate themselves more and more in even Old Testament history. Why? So you can say that you know a whole lot more about that? My concern is, am I acting more like him? Am I living more like him? Do I look more like him? Is my speech giving me away that I'm a Christian? I'm a child of God. That's how we should be. That should be our aspiration, goal, and dream. Uh, Paul the Apostle, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 9 and 10. Paul the Apostle, he had revelation. He saw Jesus on the Damascus road. Uh, you know that story. 
he uh, had revelation when Jesus taught him the scriptures. He taught him the, the gospel. He then also was caught up to the third heaven. If anybody can boast, he could. But notice what he says about himself. Even though I have all these experiences in Christ, I'm not arrived yet. I'm the least of, of, of all the apostles. That am not me to be called an apostle because I, notice this, persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. I like that. By the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. So in other words, he took a murderer of Christians and turned him into the one that wrote almost two-thirds of the New Testament. You talk about the transforming power of Almighty God. He's not there yet. Even though he had all those wonderful experiences. So guess what that means for us. We're not there yet. You're not there yet. So you see if we're not pressing on hard. We're going to be camping and just staying where we're at. And then also let's uh, look at the game plan. He came up with the game plan. I like the game plan. Philippians chapter 3. Once again, starting with uh, verse 12. Not as though I had already attained, either already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus, brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, Reaching forth into those things which are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore as many as be perfect be thus minded. And if in anything you otherwise be otherwise minded. God shall reveal even this unto you. Nevertheless whereunto you have already attained. Let us walk by the same rule. Let us mind the same thing. Now let's break this down. First of all his game plan involves focus. This was his focus. There's nothing more important than this one thing that I do. Notice he said this one thing. If you want to succeed in any arena of life, there's something that you've got to do. This one thing I do. You want to be that great artist? Then there's one thing you're going to have to do. Apply yourself with every fiber of your being. You want to be a great athlete? There's one thing you're going to have to do. Commit yourself to doing everything that is necessary to become that great athlete. You know, these people don't become uh, superstars by accident. Oh, I just stumbled across this ability. You might have the raw talent, but if you don't exercise it, if you don't apply yourself, you know, you think that... Stephen Curry, you think that he hits those threes automatically just because it just happens? How many times do you think he shoots that ball? These guys that shoot uh, free throws and they make a hundred in a roll. Why do you think they make a hundred in a roll? Because they probably shoot a thousand a day. You get the point. It's called muscle memory. Spiritually, the same thing is true. Every single one of us. We've got to apply ourselves, stay focused, and this one thing we've got to do is what is necessary for us to promote our own spiritual growth and development. So success doesn't just come automatically. It means that if you and I are going to climb to the mountaintop, if we're going to experience a greater move of God in our lives this year, we will apply ourselves on a daily basis. 
Letting God know, I am not content. I am not satisfied. I'm, I'm not going to be a camper. I want to rise up above where I'm at this, this year, Lord. I want to know you better. I want to become that person you want me to be. I want to fulfill the life mission that you've called me to. I'm going to give myself over to it. This one thing I do. Well, Paul did it. And as a result, he succeeded. Remember when Jesus was about to go to Calvary? The Bible says in the book of Isaiah that he set his face like a flint. You know what that means? Follow Jesus in the narratives of the, old, of the Gospels. And what you find out, everywhere he went, everywhere he went, no matter who you were, what your condition was, what you needed, he helped you along the way. He helped. Even being interrupted in some situations, he helped people along the way. But when it came time for him to go to Calvary, he set his face like a flint. He was on the path. He was on the road. And no matter what distraction tried to come against him, he wasn't looking to the right. He wasn't looking to the left. He's going straight down. His focus is on Calvary. It's on the cross. And nothing at all is going to interrupt him. He will not fail in achieving his goal. In the Garden of Gethsemane, when he is at the rock in the garden, where the victory really was won, he's sweating as if it were blood. He was under such let's say temptation power of the enemy coming against him and there was probably more so than anything else knowing what he had to go through and in my opinion if I'm allowed one I believe the number one thing that he had to deal with was separating from his father for a smidgen of time becoming sin for all of us and in that moment of time he would have that relationship interrupted with his father remember he cried out my God my God why have you forsaken me? In that moment of time when he became sin for us, he had to face that. He had no idea what it would be like to be full of sin. He became sin for us. Not his sin, our sin. God the Father made him sin for us. He made him sin for you. He suffered it for you and for me. It's hard to even imagine. But, but you know what? He stayed focused. Nothing would distract him. He was going all the way to Calvary. And there was no turning back. And then notice else, what else he says. Forgetting. It's one thing I do. I'm staying focused number one. Forgetting number two. Forgetting what Paul? Those things that are behind me. What things that are behind you Paul? I mean you're Paul the apostle. You know you're the called out one. Yeah but before he became Paul the apostle. He was Saul of Tarsus. And Saul means destroyer. And Paul means builder. He was Saul the destroyer. Now he, he thought he was doing the right thing. He thought he was serving God. He was finding everyone who named the name of Christ. He was taking them in the prison, putting them in prison. He was consenting to their death. They brought the very clothes of, of Stephen, the cloak of Stephen right to his feet because he consented to it. He had to have some kind of position. He had papers in his hands on the Damascus road to see to it that people that confessed Christ would be killed. He killed Christians and he set out to destroy Christianity. And he was highly influential, highly intelligent in the hierarchy of Judaism. You understand this? So this was not done in a secret place. No, nothing was hidden. It was all naked and bare and open before all the eyes of the people there at Jerusalem. They saw him hang on a tree and they saw after his death and resurrection, people come out of the grave and they went into the city. Oh, their eyes were wide open. You couldn't deny it. No matter what they tried to do to hush, hush, it couldn't be done. 
It's a fact. It happened. Praise God. Jesus is alive. What did he have to forget? He killed Christians and tried to destroy Christianity. What do we have to forget? Past hurts. Past offenses. Rejection. Also successes. Has someone hurt you along the way of life? You know what? Put it behind you. Leave it at the door of 2015 and say it's not worth it. It'll destroy you spiritually, emotionally, and physically if you bring it with you. Leave that baggage there. What do I do with it? Put it under the blood. What about the one that offended me? Forgive them. Pray for their salvation. You don't understand the hurt. It doesn't matter the hurt. He carried it for you. You release it. Let it go. It's nice not to have any baggage. You're a lot lighter that way. Have a light year. I didn't say light beer. I said light year. Pizza to go with it would be fine with me. But you understand what he's saying here? Let go of the rejection. Let go of the hurt. Let go of the offense. Let go of the heartache. Let go of the pain. Someone wronged you. You don't have a right to hold anything against anybody. You've been forgiven the biggest of all debts. Now Jesus said, now forgive others. If not, you'll be cast into the prison. Yourself. And you won't come out until you pay your uttermost farthing. And then, do what? Move forward. Move, press on. Man, you're going up that mountain. It's a whole lot easier now. See, the weight of offense just dropped off you. Amen. The weight of unforgiveness was just taken away. You're lighter now. It's easier to climb when you're lighter. Can you see that? Press on. Move forward. For what? It's the prize of what? This is a reference to both of these statements are in reference to the Grecian games. You know, back then they ran the race to win a prize. And you know, anyone here ever run track in your life? Humor me, just raise your hand if you ran track. What's one of the things they tell you, especially when you're getting close to the finish line? Don't look back. Don't look to see where anybody's at. If you do, you impede your process, your progress. You slow down. So just stay focused, look straight ahead, and keep on going forward. So what's Paul saying? Don't look back. Forget all that stuff and press toward the prize of the mark of the high calling of God. Now for them, for their games, guess what they won? An olive wreath. Prestigious olive wreath. They placed upon your head. You're the winner of the Grecian games. You're the fastest man, etc. Or woman or whatever. But guess what? For us, for you, for me, the motivation is not the olive wreath. The motivation is not the Olympic gold. It's not some kind of accolades that come from somewhere, someone, giving us all these prizes and trophies. And No, it's the crown of righteousness and the crown of life and the crown of glory that comes from the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Stay focused. Keep your eyes on the prize because you see there is something to be had, something to be gained. Paul the Apostle said, for, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. It's not a loss, it's a gain. You might suffer loss here, some certain things, but on the other side, I guarantee you the reward of heaven, the heavenly reward will transcend anything else you've experienced in this life. Praise God. So if you think of it in those terms, think about it. 
What would you rather be sacrificing your life for? To win a Super Bowl? You know, we, we talk about men like Joe Namath, man. Joe Willie, Willie Joe Namath, right? What, what did he do? He guaranteed success. And he got it, didn't he? Along with it, he can't walk. He's got two knees that have been replaced. And uh, the list goes on and on. All these other greats in, in these fields of sports and etc. etc. Hardly get around. We see about concussions today and what is, what's happening in, in people's lives that play that violent sport. And it is a violent sport. We understand that. What do you gain from it? The accolades of men? But I'll tell you what. The accolades of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. When he looks at you and he says to you. Well done thou good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joy of your Lord. I've got a crown of righteousness for you. A crown of glory. I've got the victor's crown for you. It's all yours. And you know what? You'll shine as the stars of heaven. Because you committed yourself to doing it my way. And guess what? Not, no one or nothing is going to take it from you and it will not rust and it will not corrode and guess what you'll be privileged to do with it once you get there and once you get it you will present it at the feet of Jesus you will bow on your knees you'll cast down that crown and say it's all because of you it's all because of you Jesus it's all because of you if there be any praise let it go to the one who deserves it. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. There's a prize to be won. Amen. I fought my fight, he said. I've kept the faith. Praise God. I finished my course. Now there's the crown that wait, awaits me. So I want to encourage us in this upcoming year to see to it that we do our part. To be sure and certain that we're on the upward climb. Right? And finally, let's close it with this last point. The perfect attitude he reveals to us in verse 16. Look at the perfect attitude. Nevertheless, whereto we have already attained. Notice he talked about the past and he talked about the future. Now he's talking about what? The present. Nevertheless, whereto we have already attained. Let us walk by the same rule let us mind the same thing. In other words, wherever your development is at right now, be honest with yourself. This is where I'm at. It's not that you've got to be a, a senior in high school when you're only going into the eighth grade. That would be unrealistic, wouldn't it? The goal would be to graduate. The goal would be to go off into college. But you can't expect to be performing college level work in the eighth grade. Which is why you continue to go to the ninth grade, then the tenth grade, and etc. As a Christian, the same rule is true. You're where you're at spiritually. Recognize that. Identify where you're at. Locate yourself spiritually and say, this is where I'm at. But then be diligent enough to say, I don't want to stay here. I want to grow in God. I want to go further in the things of God. I want my life to be swallowed up with the life of Christ. And you hear people oftentimes say, well, can a Christian do this? Can a Christian do that? Well, why don't you just add this tag to it? Would Jesus do it? Or would he not do it? And then judge accordingly. Would Jesus want, would I find Jesus doing this? Be Christ-like. And I listed some things here for you. The perfect attitude, the past is behind you. 
and the goal lies ahead. That's the prize of the high calling. But walk where you're at. Walk where you're at. Locate yourself, apply the principles, and put pressure on yourself to go further, to climb higher, to dig deeper. You know, we're, we're told in construction, the higher you want to go, the deeper you've got to dig. The foundation has got to be able to support the work. So you want to go higher in Christ, then dig deeper into the Word of God. Amen. Amen. So continue what? Being a true worshiper of God. Press on. Be a true worshiper of God. Be a doer of the Word. Walk in love. Be filled with the Holy Ghost. Led by the Spirit. Live by faith. See to it that you be a witness to others. That let your light shine among men. See to it that you also support the work of God as you have been doing. And then also make sure that you assemble yourself with other believers. Continue doing so. These are the things that we know to do. So whatever you know to do, keep on doing it. And with the idea of putting more pressure on yourself to achieve more in Christ. So if you're maybe not happy with your love walk, do what I do. I endure long. I'm patient. I'm kind. I'm never envious. Start thinking differently. Believe that. If you're sitting out there saying, well, I can't help myself. I'm Italian. (laughs) Italians are known for having a hot temper. How many know that's not an excuse? So when you stand before Jesus and he says, well, it's time for the uh, Bama judgment seat for me to judge you. Uh, what, what about that temper of yours? Well, Jesus, you know I'm Italian. You made me Italian. What, 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 what do you mean here? He's probably going to sit back and say, well, what about my life? Huh? I put my blood in you. You have a new bloodline now. You are a Christian, which means Christ-like. Amen. Come on up here, praise and worship team. Praise God. Press on. Don't give up. You're looking for healing? Don't give up. You're looking for help? Don't give up. You're looking for strength? Don't give up. You're looking for success? Don't give up. Be like that man and start declaring it. I'm worshiping God. Hi, Pastor Bill here. I want to thank you for joining us today. On behalf of my wife, Krista, and Krista Selby Church, I want you to know that we're here to serve you and your family. Whether you have young children or kids in elementary school, if you're a teenager or a young adult, we have a passion to provide a safe and comfortable environment where you can grow in God and build a solid foundation of His love for you. And with that foundation, we encourage you to take the gospel of Jesus Christ with you wherever you go. It is our heart at Christian Assembly to be an outreach, to be the hand of God toward Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. We want to join as the body of Christ to make one last trumpet call before the final trumpet sound. And through a life of worship, bring in a harvest of people. With whatever gifts God has given you, we want you to be free to share those gifts and talents. Life is most fulfilled when we share God's love with others. And in all that we do, we want to demonstrate the power of the name of Jesus to the world through a ministry of excellence to God first and then also to you. So whatever the situation, wherever you are, whatever you're going through, I want you to know that we love you and God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. And that plan begins by making Jesus the Lord and the Savior of your life. And if you've never made that decision yet, I'd like to invite you to pray a simple prayer with me. And if you will, Jesus will become your Savior and your Lord. Just repeat after me this prayer. Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the dead for me. I open the door of my heart. I call upon the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, come into my heart. I now accept you 
and receive you as my personal Savior and Lord. Heavenly Father, I have called on the name of Jesus. I'm now your child in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me, I encourage you to get into a good Bible-based church where you can learn to grow in your Christian faith and experience. God bless.